0: Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Moradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Joining us today, as he does on most Mondays, is my good friend Byron Callen of the independent Washington research firm Capital Alpha Partners for a look at the week ahead and whatever else is on his fertile mind. Byron, thanks so very much for joining us. Thanks, as always, Vago. Great to be here. It's, it's great to be here. It was great to see you in, in person, not just uh, in the UK for uh, uh, during the Royal International Air Tattoo, uh, but also uh, at Farnborough and again last week in D.C. So uh, ter- terrific having you back on the show. But before we get started, our global coverage is sponsored by Leonardo DRS. Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly cyber report, and Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy, ultra intelligence, and communications, sponsors our command and control coverage. And we are a proud Farnborough International Airshow media partner. And our coverage of Britain's leading airshow was sponsored by Farnborough International and Leonardo DRS. Uh, Byron, uh, great again to have you back on. And a great note, uh, as always, uh, the August scorecard. Uh, DOD spending increases, uh, uh, Russo-Ukrainian war stalemate, and some new themes are in the the top three items on on your list. Let's start with uh, investment uh, and what you see. Obviously, congressional committees are moving ahead. Uh, What's your sense, uh, not just in terms of what the spending uh, outlook looks like, but also where outlays are, right? Because that's a pipe that opens up that uh, sometimes can be a lagging indicator. Well, and that, that's been the interesting
1: phenomenon that's been going on that was really called out in these uh, reports last week and the week before for U.S. contractors. Um, so look, you know, the all signs are pointing to an increase in investment. You've had the two authorization committees in the House and Senate. And then last week, the Senate Appropriations Committee released the text of their uh, recommendations for FY23. DoD appropriations, and they showed about a 10% increase in investment over the FY22 enacted level. So where we settle out on this, I mean, you know, the House is on recess this week, um, Senate's in the session, but, you know, we're really gonna have to wait until these bills are conference together. Um, you know, I would expect House appropriations, which kind of marked to the president's request, uh, you know, they'll come up as they did last year um, you know, but we're really not. Gonna, this this drama won't really close out until late this year, and, and may well slip into next year. But you know, I think I think that the signals are are positive. That um, some are going to argue it's not enough, but you know, a ten percent increase in investment, uh, and when investment I'm talking about procurement and research, development, test and evaluation combined, that's that's a pretty decent increase. Um, the outlay issue, you know. It came out in this in this quarter again, where you saw a number of contractors report organic sales declines for their defense segments. Um, you know, you don't have a complete picture of what the entire sector is doing because some companies like Boeing, um, in their global services business, they really don't break out defense and commercial. Um, same to a degree in some of the Pratt and Whitney and uh, Collins segments at, at Raytheon Technologies, but you know, the point is, um, you you saw some pretty significant organic sales declines. And that's kind of coincided with year over year declines in investment outlays. Now, eventually, that should turn around, you know, we can talk in a second about the supply chain, and, and I think more importantly, employment issues. But, you know, I would expect outlays to be better in the second half of the year. And I think that's why, you, for, for the most part, you saw companies reiterate their 20, 2022
0: guidance. Well, let me um, uh, pull, pull on that, um, changing the order of the conversation a little bit. Um, let's talk a little bit about what the companies reported uh, last week, right? A very, very large number. Uh, the Washington Roundtable gang, uh, Ron, Sash, and Richard and I discussed that a little bit uh, yesterday what were some of the takeaways from your standpoint in terms of the messaging right i mean every you know getting beyond the um you know supply chain problems the inflation problems the manpower and workforce uh, sh- shortfalls what were some other broader themes that you saw emerge uh well,
1: really from- i th- i thought the most important one was the manpower problems because it really you know the manpower issues are not new um this was an issue you know if you talk to contractors prior to the pandemic they were having trouble you know, hiring and retaining, uh, particularly, you know, people with engineering or or systems software backgrounds. And it hasn't gotten better. Um, You know, I think one of the more interesting comments was um, from Raytheon Technologies, which they basically said, well, you know, a recession may be the way we solve this problem. And so, but I don't know, I, I thought there's a shortfall here. And it may get back to, you know, are companies pushing an envelope too hard on operating margin and cash flow to the point that they aren't training and retaining people, you know, to make, make their companies attractive places to work? You know, have they gone overboard on some of the facilities consolidation and, and letting people go? Um, particularly that came out of, for example, a Raytheon Technologies merger. So I just wonder, you know, I think that's going to be a, it, it was a theme I talked about from former air show. Um, it's not just a U.S. theme, but it, but I think it's really going to be incumbent on uh, these companies to explain a little bit more what are they doing with human resources. You know, I, I wrote it up. I thought one of the interesting comments was made by uh, BAE Systems that, you know, in contrast to a lot of the U.S. companies, they showed 3% uh, growth in the first half of the year. And they specifically called out that, you know, we had a real focus on kind of re- retaining people, hiring people. You know, they mentioned they had 250 employees who actually came back who had retired to come work at the company. And, you know, I think that's a really important message uh, to get across because it really does raise some questions, Fago, about great, you know, Congress is going to add money to the defense budget, but can these contractors execute on that higher uh, volume of business that that will be flowing from these higher uh, defense budget authority appropriations and eventually outlays, and it's a it's it's something you know I think everybody ought to be thinking about long
0: and hard. Um, But one of the things uh, that has been an issue for you that you've highlighted with some annoyance is uh, the way that this normally works. There is more money, but companies uh, actually allocate those resources in the form of share buybacks as opposed to, for example, investing in manpower or investing in products. uh, And we've seen that reflected a little bit, right? I mean, there's some frustration aimed at Boeing. You guys were doing a lot of buybacks, but say, well, I won't deploy... My capital to develop a new product at the time when Airbus is actually eating your lunch with with some of its uh, products, or right? I mean, they may have gotten to where they are for for want of investment, uh, and and indeed lost some key talent uh, in in that process. Do you see any change, at least listening to these earnings calls, in terms of uh, the priorities for the chief executives in this sector? I mean, are they still focused on uh, share repurchasing over uh, investment in their fundamental? Yeah, I mean, I
1: mean, the, the operating margin performance for the most part was was decent. Um, you know, it, it it did not. You know, which you could say, okay, the companies are still controlling their costs on lower volume, but uh, um, you know, the magnitude of share buybacks announced by the largest contractors, it was a little bit lower than what we saw in the first quarter, but still, you know, I published a chart. If you look at it on a kind of a eight or ten year time frame, they're still at elevated levels. And you know, it's just important. It's it's not necessary. You know, free cash flow is what's left over after companies have paid their operating expenses and their capital expenditures. And I just wonder again, you know, are they are they spending money internally um, to train, retrain people, you know, to give them give them benefits and and a good workplace where you know. They don't think about going to work for another uh, commercial company, or, or you know, they want to they want to grow themselves. And I, I just, I'm not hearing that being articulated, uh, you know, even even just to the one-off comment that BAE Systems made. And and I think it, it's not a new problem. To me, the surprise was that it's been as persistent a problem, and that somehow the largest companies have really not got their arms around it.
0: Uh, and I should uh, point out, right, Ron. Yesterday pointed out that Northrop Grumman uh, has had a a much more successful uh, talent management uh, approach, um, and and that the company's ability to deliver may actually be driven uh, in part because of uh, because of that strategy, the strategy of investment and again uh, yeah. re- retaining talent.
1: Yeah, they they showed you know they were one of the fastest growing segments was space their space segment so you know the numbers do tell a story here but but I again I think you just need to when you see these organic sales declines and companies and Northrop did reference that you know they had a plan and they thought they were getting their arms around it they were seeing hiring pick up so absolutely right to call that out it is it is maybe the point is some people around this some people the way they explained it during the call. Suggest that they're not on it, um, and and uh, you know it's not just their small suppliers; it's it's their own employees' ability to to handle that stuff. And it's not just a problem in the defense sector. I think it really, you know, flows across a whole the, the U.S. economy, European economies. It's it's just really interesting.
0: Um, Do you, uh, I I want to get and talk a little bit more about Northrop in terms of the Federal Trade Commission reopening of the Orbital ATK uh, deal, right, four years on, which was uh, pretty extraordinary. I mean, you know, and and the FTC and the government tend not to do that unless there's tangible evidence of malfeasance on the part or a violation of a a, uh, consent decree. Uh, But I want to talk about the war, uh, your war stalemate. Uh, model uh, and and what it means. Um, more folks are uh, concerned uh, that despite you know all of these claims that hey we're focused we're going to help uh, uh, Ukraine beat Russia, that eventually right people get tired of the storyline. We have grain shipments. Russia obviously having done that uh, to sort of telegraph that it's kind of a nice guy. Uh, When, you know, just like reopening Nord Stream, it's trying to balance punishing with uh, changing a little bit of the narrative, and we're not that bad, hoping that over time, uh, the international community gets exhausted with uh, the costs uh, associated with supporting Ukraine. From your standpoint, what does the stalemating of the war mean, Um, and what vector are we on, right? I mean, because on the one hand, this is, um, you know, marks a change in the minds of many, uh, on the other hand, the, it's a whole question of staying power ultimately, yeah. right? And we'll see how cold I'm the winter of, is.
1: You know, I'm going to pull off. Uh, there's a group out of Poland called Brokan Consulting that puts out this Ukraine conflict monitor. And I mean, it's a daily kind of assessment of here's what's going on with the conflict. Um, I mean, I, I really commend their work. Um, you know, I, I think the point is. Uh, and Michael Kaufman, who you've had on the show, has called this out as well. You know, you see this initial excitement over the deployment of something like HIMARS, which, you know, all of a sudden, Russian ammunition dumps command posts are vulnerable, but the Russian military is a learning organization and they make adjustments. And so the, the, the issue on the Ukraine conflict monitor that was just released by Rokan talked about that they, they rely on, uh, it's actually NASA data Um, that can detect fires um, around the world and they focus in, it's called FIRM's data uh, for anybody who's interested. But, you know, they have this very neat map that basically says, oh yeah, after an initial lull in Russian artillery, you know, if you just judge by the number of fires that they see along this conflict line, they picked up again. So it's it's a back and forth. And um, the Korean deal, you know, this is Poland, but that's also going to mean, you know, Poland can now with greater confidence uh, transfer some of the kit that they've got to Ukraine. But I I just don't see signs of a decisive breakthrough by either side. Um, You know, they're both playing for time here. There was a statement, I guess, last week that uh, someone, uh, it wasn't Zelensky in Ukraine, but basically... You know they were hoping for a summer offensive or a counteroffensive, but it was really contingent on training um, personnel. And now that looks like it's slipped more into the fall or even the winter. So, you know, as much as we look at iconic uh, weapon systems, you know, at the end of the day, war is usually about people and the competence of so those people. Ukraine has suffered very heavily losses as the Russians have as well, and so this this ability to respawn uh military power and, and train the individuals uh you know who are going to be in the front lines, but also this the people who are going to be doing the staff work um is a really important factor here. And that's why I just I I think this is going to go on into 2023. And then we really have to see, you know, will one side really start to show an a decisive advantage over the other? Will Western European and US support wane for uh, supporting uh, Ukraine to the extent they, they are, you know, will, will Russia find other sources to backstop its military needs? The Iranian UAV reports are pretty interesting, but I, I still think there are other other places that they can pull to. So, uh, and I, in a historic context, you know, I try and track this data. Um, the russo ukrainian war is now probably the third l- longest running Major conventional conflict since 1945, Uh, and I'm not including the big, you know, civil counterinsurgency conflicts in Afghanistan or Iraq or or uh, or Vietnam, but um, it's already going on for a long time, you know, 150 plus days, and you're probably going to be able to double that, if not triple that, uh, before I think you get something more decisive. And I don't have a strong conviction how this is going to play out.
0: Um, and and I, I think that that's uh, right the, at the at the heart of the challenge. And you know, you have to add to that the nefariousness with which the Russians are prosecuting this war. Right, turning nuclear power plants, for example, into fire bases, knowing that they can't. Uh, you know, the Ukrainians are unlikely to shoot at a nuclear power plant, but they can certainly shoot out of it, uh, complicating uh, Ukraine's offensive plans. And then we're finding, right? CNN uh, has has reported uh, the sheer number of Western componentry. In some of the captured Russian uh, UAVs, whether it's the sensors, the motors, uh, electronic packages, and what have you, um, whether they're from the United States or motors from Japan or optics from uh, France or anywhere else, and some of these appear to be recent, right? I mean, so the question is, how is you know, are they from stocks or, or are they coming from other sources? Meaning, you know, we've got to maybe do a better job in in policing. Um, the export of this technology that's eventually getting into Russian hands. Um, yeah. You you mentioned uh, you mentioned about new entrants, and we're going to get into, get to that in, in just a second. But what are some of the new themes that you included in uh, the August scorecard? Well, you know, I mean, besides
1: the Russia-Ukraine war, obviously, uh, which has been an ongoing theme, but I, I thought and the new entrance theme isn't New, really, but I I thought the South Korean sale that was announced last week, or really definitized last week, to Poland was pretty significant. I mentioned, you know, the Korean aspirations for their defense sector. Um, I, I think that's something you know you really kind of have to pay attention to. You know, they talked about being wanting to have uh, Hanwha wanted to be the tenth, you know, in that top ten ranking of global defense companies by 2030. So they clearly have some aspirations here that, um, you know, I think people ought to be paying attention to and the magnitude of the sale to Poland <clears throat> in and of its own right, you know, the kit that they're selling, you know, they, they are a global competitive factor. And I think more so than uh, than maybe, you know, would have been suggested by that, that prior, uh, uh, you know, what they've been doing previously, you know, great. They sell some jets to Iraq or Philippines, but, you know, to, to kind of plan a market right. that historically has been dominated by the U
0: S and Europe was, was really intriguing.
1: Uh, you know, some do, of the other. You- oh.
0: oh, no, no. I, I just uh, to right. I mean, Sash saw this as uh, a very pronounced Polish shot across Germany's bow is, do you see that from the standpoint of messaging as well on the part of the polls?
1: Yeah, I don't know the full background of what else Poland may have um, may have evaluated. I mean, we've commented on it before Vago, but I think the uh, the South Koreans were talking about pretty quick delivery times for for some of the main battle tanks and the canine self propelled artillery that they're buying. So, you know, if you got a global competitor that that can meet demand faster than than you can, uh, you may have a you may have a, a competitor that um, that you're going to have to worry about a lot more. So. Um, I, I just don't know, you know, what else could uh, d- did Poland evaluate uh, it in its defense needs. Uh, there, there are other light attack combat aircraft that it could have bought. There are other main battle tanks, <clears throat> not just from Germany, but potentially also from France. Um, and and you know, Poland is buying from the United States uh, M1 tanks, uh, you know, Patriot air defense system, um, F35. So. But, but I think it's an interesting, it's just an interesting change because arguably, you know, what Poland does, it may be intriguing to see what other East European countries do that also may have a, a more pressing need to replace equipment or kit that they're going to uh, turn over to the Ukrainian forces. And
0: uh, it's just something to watch, just something to watch. And, and uh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You were going to make another point regarding uh, uh, ultimately as well that I think I may have derailed you from.
1: No, no. I mean, we talked about the employment and supply chain challenges as a, as a theme. It's probably been elevated after these latest round of results. Um, it's another ongoing theme, but I, I think, you know, really just all these questions. Can the DOD really move beyond kind of innovation theater and a lot of little tiny things that, May be more symbolic, you know. But, but what, what what gets this acquisition system to to move a lot faster? What what gets industry to to move a lot faster? And and maybe maybe it is things like uh, a major defense sale to Poland that that should raise some eyebrows.
0: Do you do you think uh, you you and I were at a uh, fascinating uh, discussion uh, last week uh, about this? I mean, do you do you sense any? Movement, um, right? I mean, you've been tracking these themes uh, for a very long period of time. And this notion of uh, n- new blood—you um, know, not 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 being critical of the old blood, but that right competition is great for everybody. Uh, at the end, at at the end of the day, um, and and obviously, right, the South Koreans making inroads is you know nothing like a loss to sharpen the mind. But but ultimately, do do you notice? beyond the rhetoric that this dynamic is changing um, at all, right? I mean, because we've heard from uh, Andrew uh, and a number of other companies about the importance of, of driving that change, um, trying to play uh, in a more innovative manner. But, but ultimately, right, I mean, the question is whether or not the ecosystem itself is changing the way I think people think it should change. Do you see any evidence of change?
1: Well, as I said, I think a lot of it is, there's a lot of let's admire the problem um, and talk about the problems. But, you know, in terms of of anything that's really shaking the system to its foundations, no. Um, and, and that's why I keep thinking about, you know, the, the and that was discussed at, at the event, you know, some of the, they're, they're kind of, there's a lot of symbolism on some of the things DOD is doing, but in terms of really uh, moving with alacrity, you know, picking a winner at scale uh, that really shakes up, um, you know, a, a, the sector and enforces uh, changes in behavior. There, there's obviously risk with that, but um, I don't know. I'm reading a book by Richard Rommelt, who's a, uh, a strategist called The Crux, And he talks about this, you know, time and time again, like what, what, what causes change, you know, where do you see change? And maybe the one that was on my mind, just because I read about it, you know, his discussion is, I guess it was yesterday, Uh, you know, General Motors, you know, big iconic US company, um, you know, really kind of at a point became more process over outcomes, uh, you know, They've started to change and turn around, but it, it kind of took a bankruptcy and um, what was it, an ignition problem that that really f- raised all sorts of fundamental questions about, you know, w- what happened to the engineering culture at that at that enterprise. So I hate to say it and I hate to see it, but I, I almost think that's what you're going to need. Um, it, it's going to be a crisis that, that all of a sudden there's going to be, you know, Multiple things that stack up that really set, tell people, tell leadership that, you know, you can't just do these little symbolic, you know, 100 million, 200 million dollar type, you know, innovation programs. It's, it's got to be, it really has to be something at scale. And uh, and that's, I think, where you, you know, you're going to force change your behavior, but, but uh, I, I don't see it there.
0: Um, Let me uh, uh, keep uh, driving uh, the conversation forward because we have a lot more to cover and we've only got about five minutes uh, in in which to uh, cover it. Let me, uh, you mentioned uh, Northrop Grumman. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about your sense on the FTC reopening orbital, Northrop's acquisition of orbital ATK. It was four years ago. Uh, Now suggestions that Boeing couldn't bid in GBSD because of that. That did not appear to be the case at the time. It appeared at the time that uh, you know, Boeing was was pushing uh, for for a no lose strategy, right? Let's have a national team. Everybody ends up benefiting from this uh, ultimately. Although I think you know, B- B- Boeing may have a different interpretation of that, but that's how it was regarded. Uh, and and at the time, the United States Air Force said, "Look, you're either going to bid to what it is we're asking you to bid for, or um, you yeah. know, we're, we're not well, going to do." D- I don't know strategy. how
1: you put that horse back in the barn. I mean, ground based strategic deterrent was already awarded to Northrop Grumman, so. You know, that horse is out of the barn. Um, you know, I suppose you'd have to make the case that the, the the practices that the FTC alleges with orbital ATK under under Northrop Grumman are continuing or persisting, and and then you try and fix it. But I don't know. I mean, you, you can look at data. Sure, there, there are some market segments that are pretty highly concentrated. But if you compare... The defense sector on a global basis to um to other sectors, let's call it call it the automobile sector, the airline sector, it's still fairly fragmented. And um, I suppose it, it kind of gets back to these acquisition um, you know, behaviors. Uh, you know, when you see, for example, Hanwha team with Oshkosh on the uh, the Army's next generation armored vehicle program, you know, that that suggests that. Hey, there, there may be a little bit more dynamic competitive environment than the FTC believes believes there is. And is it going to chill um, large scale MA activity in, in the. US defense market? Sure. It, it's going to be an issue, but you know kind of rolling that back <clears throat> and undoing you know some of the big deals that have been announced. Um, I don't know if that's possible or even feasible to do. And what are you going to get if you do it? Um, you know, again, it probably gets back to, you know, it seems like there are a lot of smaller companies that would like to scale, and if you can, you can address the competition issue that way. Um, that may be a better, better way of approaching it. than just saying, ah, we've got, we've got five or six, you know, two big um, uh, main defense primes. Let, let's break them up, and that's gonna, that's gonna reshuffle and make them more, more competitive. I, I don't believe that.
0: Um, so how do you interpret though the booze? Right, um, you have Aerojet, uh, you have this, and uh, right. I mean, you and I both well, came into touch with more yeah. than a couple of bankers yeah, over yeah. the course of Farmborough. Well, it's definitely a, um, it's
1: definitely a tighter. I mean, uh, you know, people I've talked to, yeah, you know, deals that you thought were just a layup, there's there's a lot more scrutiny on them. Uh, you know, having said that, Fogo, there have been other deals that have gone through. I think TTMI was able to buy uh, Telefonics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's not like defense MA is frozen, um, but I, I do think, you know, probably correctly, you know, there was a vector where you, you know, if you had all this excess free cash flow and you weren't willing to invest in your own business, it, you know, you're just gonna buy your way to, to sales. I don't know. Um, I, I think, you know, that's not in, in the interest of, uh, of the Department of Defense
0: spoken like a true uh, Washington policy uh, thinker. We've got a couple of minutes left. Talk to us about the week ahead. What should our audience be paying attention to uh, over the coming week?
1: Well, you know, as we start at the top, I think the budget news, you know, the the news flow is probably getting pretty skinny um, this week, and frankly, going in through August. Um, But geopolitically, Big week for Taiwan and China. Uh, you know, today is the 95th uh, anniversary of the founding of the People's Liberation Army. And it looks like Speaker Pelosi is going to be visiting Taiwan. Uh, you have uh, a US China Economic Security Review Commission hearing on uh, different aspects of China on August 3rd. And then CSIS is doing something on the 4th, on uh, a 4th. Taiwan Strait crisis, I believe that um, Heritage is also doing on, on arms transfer to Taiwan. So, um, you know, China, Taiwan, back in the news, you know, China, rattling all sorts of stuff, I, I still am skeptical that they would launch a large scale <clears throat> military invasion of Taiwan, but um, it, it can be a tense couple of days, if not weeks, uh, as uh, as China again tries to flex its muscle over Taiwan. Um, the other thing that's going on, and it's kind of related in an odd way, but um, <clears throat> the UN is having its 10th annual non-proliferation uh, treaty review conference. Uh, it starts August 1st today in, in, uh, in New York. Um, and this whole question about <clears throat> nuclear proliferation um, you know i think it kind of dovetails to what's going to happen to strategic arms limitation talks uh after you know 2026 when when new start expires you know is there any way to rope in china into these talks i'm, I'm doubtful of that um and then and then the other it's not a sleeper issue but the real issue is what what's going to happen with Iran and jcpoa um you know are, are we really looking at a, a really a a significant risk of of, uh, a nuclear-armed Iran or efforts uh, to prevent that from happening that are are kinetic in nature.
0: Uh, It it certainly is interesting. And as we record this, right, no word yet from Nancy Pelosi, whether she is or isn't going to be uh, visiting uh, Taiwan. And obviously uh, the Chinese uh, suggesting that their military may be on alert for that, right? I mean, it's very unlikely that there's going to be an interception uh, and and that would be one of those kind of things that, that would obviously uh, drive tensions. Byron, uh, pleasure having you on the program. Always a treat. Look forward to having you back on again next week. In the meantime, have a great week. Absolutely, Bago. Thanks a lot.